Chapter One of The Two Gun Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Penn. The Two Gun Man by Charles Alden Seltzer. The Stranger at Dry Bottom. From the crest of Three Miles Slope, the man on the pony could see the town of Dry Bottom straggling across the gray floor of the flat its low, squat buildings looking like so many old boxes blown there by an idle wind, or unceremoniously dumped there by a careless fate, and left, regardless, to carry out the scheme of desolation. Apparently the rider was in no hurry, for, as the pony topped the rise and the town burst suddenly into view, the little animal pricked up its ears and quickened its pace, only to feel the reins suddenly tighten and to hear the rider's voice gruffly discouraging haste. Therefore the pony pranced gingerly, alert, champing the bit impatiently, picking its way over the lumpy hills of stone and cactus, but holding closely to the trail. The man lounged in the saddle, his strong, well-knit body swaying gracefully. His eyes, shaded by the brim of his hat, narrowed with slight mockery and interest as he gazed steadily at the town that lay before him. "'I reckon that must be dry bottom,' he said finally, mentally taking in its dimensions. "'If that's so, I've only got twenty miles to go.' Halfway down the slope, and still a mile and a half from the town, the rider drew the pony to a halt. He dropped the reins over the high pommel of the saddle, drew out his two guns, one after the other, rolled the cylinders, and returned the guns to their holsters. He had heard something of Drybottom's reputation, and in examining his pistols, he was merely preparing himself for an emergency. For a moment, after he had replaced the weapons, he sat quietly in the saddle. Then he shook out the reins, spoke to the pony, and the little animal set forward at a slow lope. An ironic traveler, passing through Drybottom in its younger days, before civic spirit had definitely centered its efforts upon things nomenclatural, had hinted that the town should be known as Dry because of the fact that while it boasted seven buildings, four were saloons, and that bottom might well be used as a suffix, because in the nature of things, a town of seven buildings, four of which are saloons, might reasonably expect to descend to the very depths of moral iniquity. The ironic traveler had spoken with prophetic wisdom. Drybottom was trying as best it knew how to wallow in the depths of sin. Unlovely, soiled, desolate of verdure, dumped down upon a flat of sand in a treeless waste, amid cactus, crabbed yucca, scorpions, horned toads, and rattlesnakes, Drybottom had forgotten its morals, subverted its principles, and neglected its god. As the rider approached to within a few hundred yards of the edge of town, he became aware of a sudden commotion. He reined in his pony, allowing it to advance at a walk, while with alert eyes he endeavored to search out the cause of the excitement. He did not have long to watch for the explanation. A man had stepped out of the door of one of the saloons, slowly walking twenty feet away from it toward the center of the street. Immediately other men had followed, but these came only to a point just outside the door. For some reason, which was not apparent to the rider, they were giving the first men plenty of room. The rider was now able to distinguish the faces of the men in the group, and he gazed with interested eyes at the man who had first issued from the door of the saloon. 
The man was tall, nearly as tall as the rider, and in his every movement seemed sure of himself. He was young, seemingly about thirty-five, with shifty, insolent eyes, and a hard mouth whose lips were just now curved into a self-conscious smile. The rider had now approached to within fifty feet of the man, halting his pony at the extreme end of the hitching rail that skirted the front of the saloon. He sat carelessly in the saddle, his gaze fixed on the man. The men who had followed the first man out, to the number of a dozen, were apparently deeply interested, though plainly skeptical. A short, fat man who was standing near the saloon door looked on with a half-sneer. Several others were smiling blandly. A tall man, on the extreme edge of the crowd, near the rider, was watching the man in the street gravely. Other men had allowed various expressions to creep into their faces, but all were silent. Not so the man in the street. Plainly, here was conceit personified, and yet a conceit mingled with a maddening insolence. His expression told all that this thing which he was about to do was worthy of the closest attention. He was the axis upon which the interest of the universe revolved. Certainly he knew the attention he was attracting. Men were approaching from the other end of the street, joining the group in front of the saloon, which the writer now noticed was called the Silver Dollar. The newcomers were inquisitive. They spoke in low tones to the men who had arrived before them, gravely inquiring the cause. But the man in the street seemed not disturbed by his rapidly swelling audience. He stood in the place he had selected, his insolent eyes roving over the assembled company, his thin, expressive lips opening very little to allow words to filter through them. "'Gents,' he said, "'you're going to see some shooting. I told you in the silver dollar I could keep a can in the air while I put five holes in it. There's some of you gassed about being showed, not believing, and now I'm going to show you.' He reached down and took up a can that had lain at his feet, removing the red lithograph label, which had a picture of a large tomato in the center of it. The can was revealed, naked and shining in the white sunlight. The man placed the can in his left hand and drew his pistol with the right. Then he tossed the can into the air. While it still rose, his weapon exploded. The can shook spasmodically and turned clear over. Then, in rapid succession, followed four other explosions, the last occurring just before the can reached the ground. The man smiled, still holding the smoking weapon in his hand. The tall man on the extreme edge of the group now stepped forward and examined the can, while several other men crowded about to look. There were exclamations of surprise. It was curious to see how quickly enthusiasm and awe succeeded skepticism. "'He's done it, boys!' cried the tall man, holding the can aloft. Boarded in five places. He stood erect, facing the crowd. I reckon that's some shooting. He now threw a glance of challenge and defiance about him. I've got a hundred dollars to say that there ain't another man in this here town can do it. Several men tried, but none equaled the first man's performance. Many of the men could not hit the can at all. The first man watched their efforts, sneers twitching his lips as man after man failed presently all had tried watching closely the rider caught an expression of slight disappointment on the tall man's face the rider was the only man who had not yet tried his skill with the pistol and the man in the street now looked up at him 
his eyes glittering with an insolent challenge as it happened the rider glanced at the shooter at the instant the latter had turned to look up at him their eyes met fairly the shooters conveying a silent taunt the rider smiled slight mockery glinting his eyes apparently the stranger did not care to try his skill he still sat lazily in the saddle his gaze wandering languidly over the crowd the latter plainly expected him to take part in the shooting match and was impatient over his inaction two gun sneered a man who stood near the saloon door i wonder what he totes them two guns for the shooter heard and turned toward the man who had spoken his lips wreathed satirically i reckon he wouldn't shoot nothing with em he said addressing the man who had spoken several men laughed the tall man who had revealed interest before now raised a hand checking further comments that offer of a hundred to a man who can best that shootin' still goes he declared and i'm takin' off the condition the man that tries don't have to belong to dry bottom no stranger is barred the stranger's glance again met the shooter's the latter grinned felinely then the rider spoke the crowd gave him its polite attention i reckon you all think you've seen some shootin he said in a steady even voice singularly free from boast but i reckon you ain't seen any real shootin he turned to the tall grave-faced man i ain't got no hundred he said but i'm going to show you he still sat in the saddle but now with an easy motion he swung down and hitched his pony to the rail End of chapter one